0: Younger and I'd kick your ass. It's over. Mamma mia, He's done it. Anthony Joshua defeats Vladimir Klitschko. Uh, let's get ready to rumble.
1: Welcome back to season four of Ones to Watch. This is the first episode. I'm delighted to be joined by Luke Byrne. Luke. It's a pleasure to get you on for this first episode of the new season and discuss what has been a unprecedented 12 months in boxing and discuss your journey through boxing. And You're going to tell us your story today about what got you into boxing, how your journey's gone so far, and of course, how the last 12 months have affected you.
2: Hi, Sean. Thanks for having me. Boxing for me uh, started quite early on in life. Uh, One of my earliest memories is as a young toddler, actually being in a boxing gym, uh, wearing boxing gloves. And they were so big on me, they were nearly up to my shoulders. Then after that, it would have been watching the Rocky films as a young kid as well. My dad, that kind of made me fall in love with the sport. And then after a few years, then started getting into like fighting primary school and stuff like that. And then my dad basically just said, right, we'll teach you how to defend yourself. And then I was just hitting the pads with him and stuff, and just fell in love with it, and had a bit of a talent for it, so we kept it going. And that was basically my beginnings into falling in love with boxing, really.
1: And that's how many people seem to fall in love with it. It's usually through the course of either being born into a family of fighters, uh, or the alternative is, like you say, you, you catch a film like Rocky, which I think... You know, if there's any boxing fan or fighter that's never seen the Rocky films, then I'd be very surprised because, you know, absolutely, they're inspirational, aren't they? They're great to watch, and they give you this sort of sense of, of pride and enjoyment watching them. So, as a kid growing up, you know, you 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 want to be a Rocky, you want to be that guy who who succeeds, who, who's the underdog, who who goes on to to succeed when nobody thinks he can. So it's great, and it's a great it's great to hear that. You know, obviously, you you've got that background in there you know the family side of things are getting you into the sport and, and obviously to defend yourself as well I, I get a lot of people that have come onto the show I've, I've told similar stories as to you know them going to school getting into fights and sometimes not coming off the greatest in them fights and then ending up needing that that form of self-defense and that's usually how it starts you go in there to learn a form of self-defense and that's when you find the love of it
2: well that's it and like my mum was very against me ever doing boxing, as most mums would be. So, like, it was just it was just me and my dad at home, you know, just, just hitting the pads and learning about footwork and learning how to move and how to evade punches and then, obviously, throw a punch back. And that's kind of just how it started, really. And then, literally, just I was in love with the sport, addicted to it from a young age then, watching it all the time. Obviously, YouTube was only kind of up and running at that stage. And then I was watching all the clips I could, uh, reading all the magazines I could. And yeah, just couldn't get enough of it really.
1: And when you, was, when you was watching the clips, reading the magazines, who were the fighters that you'd look up to? You know, as the, these are the guys that I want to be known in the same breath as.
2: My first, my first inspiration was Roy Jones Jr. Because I was young and i seen a, a montage of him just absolutely blitzing everyone. And being so flashy and cocky, and I just loved it. He was my first inspiration in boxing. And then, shortly after that, then my first ever pay-per-view was Hatton Mayweather. And that was the first ever pay-per-view I me and my dad stayed up and watched. like, And after that, then, Floyd was just my hero then. Absolutely love Floyd Mayweather after that. To this day, like... You make me feel old, yeah. Luke.
1: You make me feel old by saying that, because Hatton Mayweather, <laughs> you know, like... that's That's one of the nights where... I honestly thought Ricky would be the one to topple him, and and I was gutted when he didn't. And I was gutted. I was I was well, I think I was in my mid twenties at the time, and, and when, yeah. when that fight happened, and I was just a massive Hatton fan. I watched his career all the way through to to the end, from start to finish. Mm. And obviously, being a fan, you you know you want this guy to win so much. But Mayweather, as you say, the style that he had, that was. To me, that was probably the last greatest performance, personally speaking, of, of Floyd Mayweather. That was the last time, as much as it pains me to say it, but looking back on it, that was probably the last greatest performance of Floyd Mayweather, where he actually was more of an aggressive fighter throughout the fight, as opposed to, to being so elusive and so slick as to, to what he, what he was, know him as.
2: Yeah, he was more of pretty boy Floyd in that fight than he was of money, Mayweather, if that makes sense. He had the kind of young style rather than what he changed to, with the defence. Of tactics, but I just admire both because it's the it's the it's the sweet science. Being able to make sure you don't get hit and make sure your opponent gets hit as much as possible—you know—that's exactly. the aim of the game.
1: Exactly. So, what what happened from from there on in? Then, obviously, you, you've talked about the early days. Was it was it then a case of when you started to realise that you you had that talent? You you was able to pick up the the drill. Yeah. Well, in... like <clears throat> as as a kid,
2: like I had I had a good few few bouts. And I don't really count them because I was only a junior, you know, had like 20 odd bouts, 27, I think it was, and lost one, won the rest of them. But a few of them were like exhibitions, you know, both hands raised kind of thing. And that was just kind of the start of it, being competitive in in the ring, I suppose. And then uh, I started secondary school then and boxing was put a halt to for a while. My mum didn't want me to be concentrating on fighting when I needed to be concentrating on school because obviously my parents wanted me to get a good education as well. So there was a bit of a break from it for a few years. And then when I was 14, then I was uh, doing the Irish equivalent to my GCSEs at the time. And uh, I got diagnosed with type one diabetes. And of course, like I was still in love with boxing, still watching it all the time, still doing a bit in the garage at home, just messing about on the bag and stuff. But then it all kind of came crashing down then because I didn't even like the first uh the first I'd even seen of diabetes was actually, ironically enough, in the 24 7 episodes of Floyd Mayweather versus Shane Mosley, because Floyd's uncle Roger had diabetes and they were basically showing how debilitating that diabetes was. And that's the first I ever heard of it. So when I got diagnosed with it, I was kind of really scared because I didn't know if I was going to die or what. Like then, like boxing was kind of out the window then for me, really, because There'd never kind of been a diabetic boxer before, as far as I was aware. And then I kind of ended up putting on a good bit of weight and stuff with the diabetes. And I needed to lose weight and I needed to get myself healthy. So after begging and begging and begging, my mum, actually, ironically, it was my mum that brought me down to the boxing gym. I got back into training, got myself quite fit. And I wanted to get to get my boxing card. I wanted to fight again. Like, and I contacted the Irish Amateur Boxing Association to try and get my license. And they said, no, they said, there's never been a diabetic boxer and there never will be one, essentially, in, in the email they sent. And then uh, my dad went back and forth with them for like six months over it, like, because I really wanted to fight. And funnily enough, my parents were actually really supportive of it. So after about six months, they kind of gave in and they just emailed my dad and they were like, if if Luke can get the go ahead from his diabetes specialist, then he can, he can get his boxing card. So I had to go up to the hospital and speak with my endocrinologist. And ironically, the fellow who was my endocrinologist at the time was massively against boxing. He hated it. Just, you know, from a normal doctor's standpoint, I suppose. And on the day, they were like, oh, it's it's, it's good that you came today because you're going to be meeting your new endocrinologist. So I was like, "Okay, hopefully now I have a chance because this guy's new. And he was actually, um, he was an Irish fella who'd just finished uh, a few years in Australia. And he was working with diabetics who were doing surfing. So I was talking to him about, you know, boxing. And he was like, well, to be honest, he said, surfing is probably a lot more dangerous for a diabetic than boxing is. And I was like, well, yeah, probably. And he was like, so long as your blood sugars are okay and you're keeping yourself well, there's no reason why you shouldn't be able to box. And he signed off on it straight away. Didn't have any issue with it whatsoever and then i was the first person ever in ireland to be granted a boxing license with type 1 diabetes that was a fight before the fight started if you know what i mean
1: yeah yeah absolutely i think what i think what's probably going to be good to set a little bit of context to is is how how that has affected you as a person not just as a as a fighter someone who gets in the ring but in general how how does having diabetes affect you as a person just for people that are not fully aware of it uh, yeah. and and how it works how does it affect you as a person but also how does then it affect your your training regimes and how you get yourself prepared for fights
2: as a person i suppose you just have to be a lot more aware of yourself like you have to take into take into consideration everything that's entering your body like like i don't drink or smoke or anything like, everything I eat, so anything with carbohydrates, it's like potatoes, pasta, rice, chocolate, whatever, you name it, like I have to take insulin injections for. So they're like, that's like a big thing. I have to make sure I always have my insulin with me at all times. I have to make sure my blood sugars are okay. If I have a low blood sugar, I have to know how to deal with it. So it's just being, I suppose, just very aware of yourself and knowing your body as well and knowing when to listen to your body, which I suppose is a great thing as well when it comes into training because you know when you're feeling good and you know when you're not feeling good and just day-to-day life i suppose you just have to take a take a lot more care of yourself than the average person would like you can't just go and do something like spontaneously you have to have stuff planned to make sure you have your medication with you make sure you have say like glucosate or glucose tablets in case something does go wrong and just making sure that everything's a1 at the end of the day as well when you're going to bed that you're not going to wake up in the middle of the night and have a low blood sugar or high blood sugar and feel ill and not be able to do anything the next day. You just have to keep yourself well.
1: So what was the initial reaction to you being granted a, a a boxing card to be able to to box in the amateur scene in Ireland. What what was the reaction? So Are you being the first one in Ireland, and obviously there being initially a stigma around it from from the boxing board in Ireland not being able to initially say yeah, actually we'll let him we'll let him box. And obviously you said the dad. Spent what six months going back and forward. Yeah. What what was it that changed their mind? Was it because of the specialist saying, yeah, he's fine. There's there's no more risk than what they would be a normal person getting in the ring and boxing.
2: Well, like I think basically, uh, I'm not fully sure what was in the emails. I only have a gist of what my dad said to them. But like in the gym, like I was sparring in the gym and stuff, and I was doing fine. I never, I was never, and never have been since ill when training. And my dad was basically telling them like how boxing is really helped improve my diabetes control and how like much happier I was doing the boxing training. All I wanted to do was represent, you know, my country and the, and the amateur boxing scene. And they weren't uh, allowing me the opportunity to do that. And uh, I was quite discriminatory of them not to allow me to box just because of an illness that didn't actually affect, like that didn't impede my boxing ability. It's not like I only have like, you know, one hand or something, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And eventually they were just kind of like, well, look, it's up to a specialist, you know, don't, don't kind of blame us if something goes wrong, you know. So I think they were kind of expecting my specialist to say no, to be honest. But anyways, he said yeah, and then after that, then there was no issue really. It was just after couple of months then, my boxing card got sent out to me, and that was it. I was able to start preparing for fights then.
1: So what was it like then, Luke, the first time you was able to get in the ring competitively and, and do it knowing that you had that, that backing, that support behind you to, to push yourself forward to go on and it was, look to achieve a career?
2: It was fantastic. Like I got my boxing card just before my, the Irish equivalent of my A-levels, so... I just kept I kept training, and I was meant to actually fight in the April before my exam started in the May, and that fell through. My opponent pulled out for one reason or another. I don't know why. And so then it was kind of just study, 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 and then that was grand. Had my exams, did well in those, got into uni, and then obviously just no boxing during the summer. So I was just training away during the summer, waiting for something to come up, and then I started uni then in the in the September, and I sports science and exercise physiology so it's a good course and like I'm a qualified sports scientist now and it really ties into my boxing so I'm really glad I did it and the first year of college kind of went by the first semester went by and then in the January then I got word of there was a big boxing show going on in Donegal so I messaged the person who was running it and I, I was like you know would you be able to get me an opponent I'd like to box on your show so they got me a lad from their hometown and uh, Donegal about three hours away from where I'm from and I was just so happy to have the date and have the name and be able to say to people right I have a fight on this day it's definitely happening and was my first senior fight you know first time fighting an adult and it was just to be honest with you there was no nerves it was just pure excitement and happiness that I was actually happening after so long like it felt like forever and then when the day finally came it was just brilliant like me and a few of my friends we we hired a bus and went up together and went up and I ended up stopping your man in the first round and it was just absolute elation but the only problem was like I was buzzing so much I just wish the fight would have went longer do you know what I mean? It was just such a good experience and uh, one I'll never forget like
1: So since then what's been happening with yourself? I know before we started recording, I know when I looked at where you were in your career, you're sort of trying to push yourself forward and, and move, Absolutely. move into where you want to go. But obviously, the dreaded C word came up this year, COVID. Yes. And it's just seemed to have completely changed the landscape of, of the amateur boxing scene. Grassroots boxing's taken a huge, huge kick in the backside. And as a result, where, where has that left you now?
2: It's kind of left me in a bit of a limbo, to be honest. Like At the start of this year, I was I, had, I was uh, training hard back home in Longford and got myself quite fit because l- last year now, I had a bit of a tough year mentally and put on a lot of weight and uh, I was up to 119 kilos, I was very heavy and I lost like 24 kilos in four months, just under five stone and uh, got myself fit again and was training hard and literally was meant to be fighting into February and then that was pushed back to the June. So I, w- I had the date of June 13th in my head and was training really hard for that. And then, of course, in March, then the cases kind of started rising over here with COVID. And I kept training anyways, and kind of hopeful that I would go ahead. And then the first week in April came and I was super fit, training twice a day, six days a week. And then uh, I got a text then off um, the fellow running the show, saying that I won't be going ahead with the with the virus. And then then full lockdown hit over here then, and everything closed. Like the there was nowhere to even train apart from my home, and that was just absolutely gutting. Like and like the motivation side of things was so tough, you know, knowing that you'd worked so hard for so long, and then it was just cancelled. Like the rug was totally pulled out from under my feet, kind of thing, and that was a bit disheartening. And then. Literally just try to keep positive, try to keep positive mindset that things would be better. Because I don't know what it was like in England, but in Ireland, people were saying like, oh, sure, we'll be locked down for about three weeks and then they would be fine. But of course, you know, yourself, it definitely didn't turn out that way. Oh, no. And we stayed in lockdown. But then there was like a bit of a glimmer of hope there about two months ago, because uh, the restrictions over here were eased. Like we, we got down to about 30 cases a day, as opposed to like 1,200 where it is now. And the boxing gyms opened again. And I actually moved up to a town called uh, Athlone. And there's a boxer, uh, Joe Ward. He's from near Athlone. He's two-time amateur world champion. He's a current pro as well. He was in the Olympics for Ireland there in 2016. And he's a light heavyweight as well, like myself. So I've been training with him there for a few weeks and a few of the other lads down from the boxing gym up here. And uh, I was getting great sparring in, getting great rounds, doing like 10 rounds a session mixing up sparring partners and stuff was feeling great and then literally back into lockdown again now so it's kind of just left me waiting for this vaccine to kick in and hoping to god that uh, things are back to normal now after this summer and then hopefully get a good season and a half in with the boxing like end the next year and then the full year 2022 and then i'm hoping now early early to mid 2023 to be turning over and trying to make the best of myself then the pro game
1: so in terms of the amateur scene at the moment obviously I, I I'm based in England you know mm-hmm. it's slightly different to how it is in Ireland so just for for people like myself and people that listen that maybe are not fully well versed in in the Irish boxing scene and how we yeah. would work in the amateurs how how now going forward will will you progress what what sort of Nationals? Will you be going in for? Will you be? Will there be certain <clears throat> tournaments that, in particular, that you'll be able to to look to try and enter to to get as accolades on your record before you turn pro? And and what what are your ambitions? I suppose is is what I'm trying to get at here.
2: Yeah, so absolutely. So like, uh, I was in the the Irish version of the ABA's already uh, in 2016. I got to the semi-finals of those, and uh, I was absolutely robbed in the semi-finals. And then after that, then obviously. All the stuff for Juni happened and then COVID, so that was the kind of shitter there. But over here now in Ireland, it's totally different to England. There's not as many club shows. So you have to kind of depend on the tournaments in Ireland to get the, you know, to build up your record and to get the accolades, as you say. So, like, the best case scenario for me this year coming will be hopefully, like, hopefully boxing will return come summer. And then every September there does be a big competition in Washford called the Celtic Box Cup, and it's a it's a massive one. It's kind of like the Haringey Box Cup in London. Like people from all over come to it. Like just people from Australia, there people from all over Europe, all over the UK, they all come over to box in that. So that's quite a prestigious tournament. Uh, so that would be the first thing I'd be looking to go into at light heavyweight. And then in the October, then there does always be the the regular ABAs, and then. In the January, then, there's be the elites. So the elite ABAs after that. So hopefully now, if I can uh, do well in the regular ones, then get into the elites. And that's where the big names are. And that's where you'd really get you know, your recognition, especially yeah. on the international scene. So that would be my ambitions to, to get onto that and make a name for myself. Like you say, like, make the biggest name for myself possible. Take the biggest scalps possible before trying to turn over.
1: Not everybody succeeds as an amateur, but yet, they do turn over and end up having a successful professional career now Absolutely. you've got you've got, a, you've got a great journey ahead of you here you're at a point where the the world is your oyster when it comes to achieving things on the the amateur side of the sport and then eventually turning over when when the time is is probably right for you in your life and, and obviously where you're at in your career how do you prepare for events like this you know with them being so few and far between and with the, with the with it being different for you in Ireland how do you prepare for for tournaments like that
2: well the main thing would be to be fit all year round like once you get once you like stay near the weight and get as much sparring prep as possible and because Ireland is so small like it nowhere is really too far away do you know what I mean like from where I am now Dublin is only an hour and 20 minutes away and there's loads of good clubs in Dublin with loads of good boxers, so you'd get a great variety of sparring. Same with Northern Ireland, like, you know, Belfast is obviously very, very famous for its very good boxers. So, you know, you can kind of just tip down the road and arrange to go sparring in places, and that would be the main prep, you know, because obviously your fitness work is kind of up to you, and then the boxing side of things is both up to yourself, your coach, and the quality of sparring you do be getting. And then, obviously, with these tournaments, you could be fighting three times in three days so you just have to make sure you're injury free you have no niggles going in and just try and keep yourself from getting cut. because obviously if you get cut in the first fight and you win it you won't be that into the next day with the amateur game it's fairly soft when it comes to little nicks and cuts like so you can just have to keep yourself as well as possible mentally being prepared for it as well
1: going forward then luke from here on out Obviously, mm-hmm. the, the the biggest issue is obviously COVID and, and how that's going to affect yourself in Ireland and, and obviously the level of shows, the amount that you get, the quantity through through the that next is. twelve months. What I suppose what I'd like to find out from yourself is really what what's your plan if you know things don't go that way if they, if they turn around and say right we're going to have to put you on lockdown now throughout January February March and that gives you another three months lost really trying to trying to mm. be able to get in the ring. Is, is there ever going to be a potential point where, you know, it's a, make, it's a make or break situation for you? I mean, I know this is going to be the same for a lot of boxers out there that are wanting to, to go through it uh, the same as you. Absolutely. But, but, but what, what about yourself? How are you sort of in the mindset of going forward if it's going to be very minimal? So if they say to you next year, Luke, there's only going to be one show on and that's the only show you're going to get all year. I mean, yeah. what, what what are you going to do then? How is that going to affect your sort of mindset going forward? Are you going to look to just go pro or how, how will it work?
2: I suppose that, that, like, worst case scenario, that would be what happened. But I suppose, like, I'm only just turned 24. Like, I'm not exactly a, I'm not exactly young, but I'm not exactly old either. Like, time is on my side. So what I would do in that situation, if that, if that were to be the case, would be to make sure I am the best athlete possible the first few months of the year, get myself in tip-top condition, be the best Luke burn I can be. And if that fight comes, make sure I win it and win it in style. And then it's either going to be, right, will I be able to sell tickets? Will I be able to, you know, have a name for myself already? Or will I wait another year and hope I can get another 15 to 20 fights and build a profile for myself in 2022? And then you know turn over in early 2023 then when I'm only just gone 26 I'd be you know in the prime of my life as a man like so I think that would be the most sensible thing to do would be to bide my time and just make sure I'm the best athlete possible and get as much in ring experience and in fight experience, more importantly, as possible before turning over.
1: Yeah, experience is key. Experience is inv- invaluable. You can't put a price on that. And everybody in boxing will say that. We, we know that. We know that for sure. It's just so <laughs> unprecedented. You know, we're, we're doing this episode, we're doing this interview in a scenario where it really could go either way at the moment. And we honestly don't know how things will pan out, but it's good. It's good to know from you that, you you know, you have kind of got a a mindset or a path either way. There's, there's a, there's a path either way for you to go down whatever may happen in the next 12 months and and the way things may go. And I suppose moving away, I just want to move away from, from the sort of negative side of, of, of how COVID's affected everything and really sort of move into more sort of personalized things with yourself and, We've talked mm-hmm. a lot about you and your career and where you wanna go and how things wanna be, but we haven't really talked a lot about like you as a person and, and, and kind of what actually motivates you, you know, to, to, to do what you're doing. You you you've got a sports science degree. You're you you're trying to push yourself through the amateur side of things to potentially become a pro, but what else in life is it that, that makes you tick? What what are the things that, that you thoroughly enjoy?
2: Outside of boxing, outside of training and boxing. I'm a big like I love my movies. I love sitting down watching documentaries and different films and stuff. Like I could do that all day long. I've been doing it during lockdowns. <laughs> I big into literally just traveling as well. Like that's one thing now. Obviously, this year hasn't happened, but I was lucky enough to go to New York twice last year. Go to London. I go to London very often when I can. Just travel all over the place. And like this year, I was lucky to travel all over Ireland and see places in Ireland that I've never seen because you know I never stayed in the place long enough to actually explore what ireland has to offer as a tourist in my own country so that was quite nice and then like literally though not to sound sad but like it would apart from that it is boxing like boxing 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 (laughs) like (laughs) i think i do like i drive my girlfriend and my friends mad like but it's just what i love and i say it's just my passion and i don't know why it's just something i absolutely adore and i just get my drive from wanting to be the best at what i love not like i see people like turning over like even say the likes of um campbell hatton now turning over with eddie Hearn there the other week and i was like to my dad i was like that lad is living my dream right now like you know see, seeing that and that motivates me that really spurs me on to do as well as possible and i like, try and rack up as many knockouts and have a fan f- fan friendly style as an amateur and, try and get a big promoter interested in me because I know, like, not trying to use my diabetes as as a leverage tool or whatever, but it is different. Like, there's only three diabetic boxers on the planet, like. So that's something that should be different as well. There shouldn't be. There should be 3,000, you know. Like, I want to push that. I want to use that as a marketing tool, use myself and show people what I can do, what I know I can do, what I've done in the gym, what I know I can do under the lights when I'm fit and ready. I'm prepared, do you know what I mean, like I just want to show people the best of me, and I don't have to box, like I'm not one of those people that was brought up hard, or anything like that, not not, not, not even close to it, like I had quite a soft upbringing, I was always a happy child, never wanted for anything, I have a good education, I have a level 8 honours sports science degree, I could go and do that if I wanted, but, Whatever it is in my head, I just want to go and I want to do this. And it's the only thing I want to do in life. And that's what drives me on. And that's why I need to be the best I can be. Because it's the only thing I want to do.
1: And I think you mentioned quite rightly there, you know, you mentioned looking at Campbell Hatton turning over. Obviously, Mm -hmm. the the, the thing, the the comparison there is the fact that he's got his dad, as we know, we talked about Ricky earlier. Well, that's it, yeah. He's got something behind him there that regardless, we always knew, you know, we always, I always knew seeing him as an amateur, here in Manchester that he'd always have that stigma around him, he'd always have that attached to him and, you know, Ricky Hatton's son is automatically going to be signed but I was very shocked myself to find Eddie Hearn signing him, I really was yeah. I genuinely didn't think he would get that sort of level of attention so early on it's huge it is a
2: huge move you
1: know it is and i think i think it's a marketing move and like you rightly pointed out marketing is a huge huge part of the sport and eddie Mm -hmm. hearn eddie hearn's the the the, one of the biggest marketers out there you know he he would he would sell any type of fight any type of fighter because he knows that he he can promote it and that's what he's good at doing so like you right, you've rightly pointed out that you know there's only three Diabetic boxers in the world. Another one is from over here, Muhammad Ali. Is another yeah, one Muhammad Ali. I know him. Yeah. So he's he's the other one over here in in the northwest. That's that's also another one. Then you've got yourself. Uh, who's the who's the third?
2: Sheed Johnson is from Philadelphia. Yes, and He's a, a welterweight.
1: Heard, yeah, I have heard of Rashid Johnson as well. So there's three three of in the world. And
2: I suppose... yeah, I've actually um I've actually arranged with Muhammad Ali. There uh, once I can travel over, I'm gonna actually go over and do a bit of sparring with him. So that'll be good.
1: I think the incentive uh, is, uh, the incentive for you as well is like you said, you know, there's a bit of a a, a race between the three of you, really. To, well, absolutely. To go, to like, go they're on a him. bit ahead
2: of me, you know, like he has MTK behind him over there in England. Rashid is, I think he's 12 fights in as a pro over in America. But like I, I can talk the talk and I, and I will walk the walk as well when it comes to it, when it, when, when all's said and done. And all I need is a bit of backing. And once I get that, I'll be laughing, you
1: know? Absolutely. That's what everybody needs at this stage of the career. Very difficult at the moment, but I, I can definitely envisage it happening. And that's that's what it's all about. Now, in terms of uh, the boxing side of things that you were talking about earlier, it's all about boxing, 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 as you said. I suppose the, the questions I've got to ask you here is, if you were to go on to YouTube right now and you wanted to watch a fight, what would be your go-to fight
2: lately? Actually, I've watched it a few times, and it's only because he's fought recently enough. Uh, Mayweather versus Canelo—it's one of the most clean shows of boxing I've ever seen in my life. Such a display of the art, like what Mayweather was able to do with Canelo, and watching what Canelo just did to Callum Smith, do you know, it really shows what a level he was at. that is one of my favourites and then if you're talking about absolute wars fairly cliched but like Corrales Castillo is hard bet that's an absolute humdinger of a fight like there's
1: so many of them that's the thing isn't it there's so many of them that's
2: the thing is there's too many like even um, George Foreman versus Ron Lyle like not many people know about that fight but my god like what a fight it was Especially for George Foreman at the time, because he was known as you know such a killer, no one could stand up to him. And then all of a sudden, there was Ron Lyle knocking him down. And...
1: Yep. Yeah. there's, there's some great. There's
2: some but yeah, great there's likes. way too many. Like even like Jack Dempsey is actually one of my boxing heroes, and that's going back to the 1910s. You know, <clears throat> like he's his attitude and his aggression, and he like I I have a book of his. Um, he was very smart as well. You know, he he there was a lot of method to his madness. He wasn't just a brawler. He he knew what he was doing in there. And that's what a lot of people don't realise, like how smart these old, old-time old boxers were, like the likes of Archie Moore, Joe Lewis. They all had such good technique. It's just because it's in black and white and it looks slower. People don't think they're as good as people now, but I think they definitely are.
1: That's it, isn't it? I think a lot of people don't really appreciate that because it's difficult to get a lot of clear, normal footage of these fighters because it's not available. And that is, that is so it. difficult.
2: It's the subtleties of it, you know. Like, even... Um, like even my couple of friends that would be boxing fans, like you know, like casual fans and stuff. Like I'd actually try and explain the intricacies of it to them, and like why a certain fighter is moving a certain way or why someone's feet is is a certain way. Like even a good a good example is Lopez versus Lomachenko There, like Lopez's footwork was absolutely immaculate, and that's something that didn't get talked about enough in that fight because he kept Lomachenko off balance, which is something no one else was able to do, and it was all with the feet. And, like, he showed such maturity and such intelligence. And, like, that, you look at that and you think, he's 23, I'm 24. I'm like, Jesus, what am I doing with my life? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> but everyone has their own time. It's all about timing. Yeah, it is. I and I, I, I truly I truly believe my time will come. Do you know That's the thing. And it's a, it's a dream I won't give up on, that's for sure. I'll do my very best to make it a reality like it.
1: So I suppose the final thing for me then really is to find out where people can locate you on social media. So they want to they want to follow your journey. They want to see what you're up to. They want to look forward to whatever comes up in the future for you. Where can they find you to follow
2: you? Uh, well, I have a Twitter account. Um, it's uh, sugar free burn because my nickname is uh, is sugar free due to the diabetes. I taught sugar a Leonard. I said I'd be sugar free. And then on Instagram as well, at uh, Sugar Free Boxer. Two best places to follow my journey.
1: So it's going to be a, again, a strange year or two coming up we don't know what's going to happen and I've mentioned it a few times because we genuinely none of us know what lies ahead for any of us and and that's the whole uncertainty of of what's happened in the past 12 months but (laughs) you've you've given a clear indication of what your plan is, where you want to go with your career, what your your goals and ambitions are throughout the course of of our episode, our interview and it has been great to, to get to know you a little bit better and actually hear the stories around what got you through the sport, where you're at, what Your plans are who you like to study. You've talked about some of the old time fighters, which again, I don't hear a lot of young fighters like yourself talk about so much because not a lot of them go back and study them. And it's great to hear guys like yourself have, have, have looked at the intricate details of the footwork and the movement that these guys had back in that period of, of boxing and the way things were so it is great and quite refreshing to hear all that so thank you for telling your story thank you for coming on and i can only wish you nothing but the best of luck for the next year or two and hopefully the next time you come on you'll be talking about being a pro and you'll be talking about being a few fights in and, and we'll be having a completely different conversation
2: absolutely and, and thank you very much for having me and it's a fantastic opportunity for myself as well so thanks very much to yourself for allowing me on and like you say next time we are talking on this it will definitely be uh, more of a successful story and we'll be looking back and laughing at uh, the year that was 2020 hopefully
1: absolutely thanks very much for coming on luke it's been an absolute pleasure and we'll speak to you soon cheers
2: sean lovely to speak to you thank you very much
0: how do you like it wish i was 50 years younger and i'd kick your ass it's over he's done it anthony joshua defeats vladimir klitschko Uh, let's get ready to rumble
1: sports social
0: podcast network